dull of hearing, spiritually speaking, God, because of different things in our lives. And, and God, I pray that you would work through that, God, that you would uh, work through our hearts. Maybe we have hard hearts. Uh, maybe we have wearisome hearts. God, I pray that you would uh, break through, God, whatever things that would hinder us from receiving from you what you would have for us today. God, set our eyes upon Jesus. May we hear everything through the lens of this good news of his death and resurrection for us who put our faith in him. And so, Lord, uh, we ask that. Uh, God, we, we know that many today are just burdened. Uh, there's a lot going on in different people's lives, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the comforter, God, through the words that are preached today. And, Lord, uh, others who are rejoicing, God, may they rejoice in hope in you, God today. Um, Lord, we ask that you would work in our country, God. Uh, we just are always grieved as we turn on the news, and it's one thing after the next. And uh, God, in particular, Lord, we, we, uh, we pray for uh, um, just the, 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 the political, just uh, back and forth that's going on, and also, God, uh, different revelations that are exposed upon about sexual misconduct and people who've been abused and harassed, God, by uh, famous people have abused their authority, Lord. God, I pray for healing upon victims, God. God, I pray, God, that, 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 um, that you would uh, make your healing love known to those who are so broken and so lost. And God, I pray that you continue to expose sin as you are so faithful to do, God. Um, Lord, we ask, God, uh, uh, that you would uh, just work, work in our midst and uh, remind us, God, what you want to do, and that's to... Um, Make much of your name and use us to do so. And God, for us, there is no greater place to be than there. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Check out this video here, guys. Oh, Lord, if this were lost instead and all I had was you, I would be rich and have the greatest good. His hands hung limp beside the gray, blood-splattered stone. And then he knelt and said, Oh God, what you have dealt me in this murky day is not what I had thought this bloody blot-red stone would bring. What have we done? What is our sin? Your sons and daughters, Joe. Are dead. Oh God, I cling with feeble fingers to the ledge of your great grace. Job's face was full of sores, and every trace of healthy skin was reddening before her eyes. Do you still cling to God? she asked. There is no hiding sin. Oh, whom have you wronged, once noble Job? Beware the thought that all is vain. In time, God's wisdom will be plain. What we have lost, God will restore. That and himself forevermore.
Well, we've been working through the book of Job here for several weeks now. And as you can see, it's a weighty kind of book. Um, some of you have been here for the extent of the series. If you've missed any part, they are online on our website. Um, Job was a man who suffered much, a man who experienced a lot of grief. And I think what we love about the story is that there are times we feel like we are in Job's shoes. That there are times we feel the weight of life. Uh, it's been a tough, it's a tough season for us and our family, as some of you guys are aware of. Uh, Erica's been having different medical issues, and um, Friday she had an MRI done on her spine, and they found some lesions on her spine. So uh, as we were coming home from the hospital on Friday, we were pulling into the garage when we got a call from the doctor that said, hey, you got to come back. She's got to be here for a few days. Uh, we got to get some treatment to, for these different lesions on her spine. And so as we parked the car in the garage, we were already halfway in the garage when the call came in. She a, took a deep breath saying, okay, God, what's going on here? We walked to our back door to find out someone had tried to break into our house while we were at the MRI appointment. And so, you know, it was just all the emotions rush in at the moment. You know, we had the kids wait outside, check out the house, make sure all is good, and it was, thanks be to God. Sat down in the living room and just had a moment <laughs> together, if you will. It was, a, it was a tough one saying, okay, what's happening? Within a two-minute span, these things. And it's like those moments you're like, this, this, isn't, this isn't just normal kind of stuff here, family. You know, someone once told me that the devil's in the details, but I, I think that's giving him far too much credit. Uh, I think God's in the details. And what we've been seeing is God's hand weaving through our lives the same way many of you have seen t- in your own lives. And some of you haven't seen it, and I hope today you'll start to see it, even in your suffering, the threads of God's love for his people. It's interesting, in the book of Job, the first two chapters, Satan's an uh, important character. He comes to God, and he says, I've been roaming this earth, and God says, have you seen my servant Job? And, Job, and Satan's like, yeah, I've seen him. God's like, there's no one like him. He's a man of integrity. He fears God. He turns away from evil and and, and saying like, Job loves you, God, because he's wealthy. He's got 10 kids who actually like each other. He's got a good family. Of course he's going to worship you, God. God says to Satan, well, he's in your hands. Just don't harm the man. And as we saw in the video here, Job's children are killed. All his possessions are stolen. His servants are murdered. And Job is left there, weeping, shaves his head in grief, tears his clothes and says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says that Job knelt down and worshiped God. Well, then Satan comes back and God says, have you seen my servant Job? He still holds on to his integrity. And Satan says, well, of course he does because he's physically healthy. His faith is as good as his health. And God says, do as you wish, just don't take his life. Job is then struck with sores from head to toe. And his wife says, are you still going to hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job says, should we take only what's good from God and not also what's, what's tough? And this says, in all that, Job did not sin. And then what we see in chapters 3 and following is Job's, Job's friends show up. And they're there to comfort him. And in chapter 3, Job is raw. He's real. There's are times in your lives when you're, you're just raw, you're real, you're, you're done trying to play the game of I got it all together. 
And Job says, curse the day I was born. I don't want this. And his friends say, well, Job, you must have done something wrong. These kind of things only happen to bad people. Job's like, look, man, my life, I've I've been trying to honor God with everything. They're like, no, no, no. Now you're just arrogant then. You are unrighteous. You're a wicked. Bad things happen to wicked people. And this is the discussion that takes place throughout the book of Job. Why do people suffer? That's the question we ask. And Job's friends tend to think that people suffer because they're wicked. And if you're good, you won't suffer. And Job's like, hold up. Wait a minute. I haven't been doing wickedness and I'm suffering. And Job's like, what's happening then? And the only conclusion he's wrestling with is, is God unjust? Is God really fair in my suffering? You ever ask that question? Is God fair? Is God unjust? And this is the discussion they take place in. It starts taking place. And we're coming to the final chapters of the book. We'll end it next week. But, but in the last, in chapters 29, 30, and 31 of the book of Job, one person says Job takes, pl- takes part in reckless bravery. <laughs> Basically, he says, all right, I'm going to lay it out here. I'm going to tell you how I am a man of integrity. And I'm going to say, God, you've got to answer me now. It's like Job is done with all of it. He's done with his friends. He's just done with everything. And in chapters 29 and following, he's like, this is who I am. This is what's going on. And in chapter 31, it kind of comes to a climax. If you open your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 31. If you open your Bible right in the middle, you'll be in the book of Psalms. And Job is a book right before that. There are Bibles and the chairs in front of you and the seats there below. Meet us in Job chapter 31. If you don't have a Bible, please take the one that's in front of you. Please, please, please. We mean that. We'd love for you to have God's word. As you're going to see, it's powerful. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. In Job chapter 31, in our Bibles, it says Job's final appeal. This is his last ditch effort to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's innocent and all these bad things are happening for some other reason, but now he's not the one who's got to answer to it. God's the one who's got to answer to it. This is what Job's ultimately concluding. And what he lists is some 12 to 14 different ways that he has not sinned. (laughs) Basically, he's saying, I'm going to list out some things that you might be thinking I might have done, and I'm going to tell you I haven't done this. This This is his reckless bravery. And what Job does here, we see in verse 30, chapter 31, verses 1 through 4, he lists the first thing here. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my, my ways and number all my steps? Job's like, all right, first of all, maybe you're thinking I've done something that's internal in my heart, like lust with my eyes. And he says right off the bat, like, look, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a virgin, which is in, 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 in um, Old Testament language, it's a young woman, he's saying. He's like, I'm not, I'm not letting my eyes dance around here. You know, the scripture talks about lust as, as, as something is that, or, uh, 
lust is something that we set our gaze upon. It's a pathway we begin to walk. It begins to lead us down a path of destruction. The book of Proverbs talks often about this. And Job's like, I'm not walking this path. He's like, I'm guarding my heart. And by the way, family, um, we've got to be very attentive to this very matter of lust. And this is not the very point of this passage, but I want to do a by the way here and, and talk about integrity here. Because Job has said, I'm a man of integrity, and we talk about integrity. It's, it's who you are when no one's watching. It's what you're like in private. It's what others don't see. Because Job says in verse 4, when others don't see, he says, does not God see my ways and number all my steps? In our society, we've talked before, and I'm, not always, gonna, I'm always gonna talk about just the damages of pornography in our society, family. Um, it, it is a very private kind of thing that others may not see in our lives, but it's all destructive. You know, as, we, as I've been following the media the, these past weeks and all these different allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment, I just can't get away from the very idea that God tells us that what is done in darkness, he'll bring to light. I mean, Harvey Weinstein, potentially others like Bush and Moore, Franken, gymnastic coaches, I mean, it's, it's, this is the tip of the iceberg because sometimes in our society, we tend to think if it's secret, it's private, it'll never be found out. But that's not integrity. That's compromise. That's cover up. And what Job is like, I'm not participating in this kind of life. Job's like, I'm not playing with this. He says in verses 5 and 6, I'm not taking part in falsehood. I'm not, I'm not speaking lies. In, verse, in verses 7 and 8, he says, I, I'm, not, I'm not being covetous with my heart. He says, if my steps has turned aside from my way and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck on my hands, then let me sow and another eat and let what grows for me be rooted out for another. He's saying, if I've coveted other people's things, then let the things I've worked for go to someone else. I'm not, I'm not having a covetous heart. It's interesting how even in, in that ways, it's such a private kind of thing, isn't that? It's something that's internal that we're not aware of. And Job's like, but that's, that, that's integrity. There's a story in the book of uh, Joshua where you might be familiar when God's people walk around Jericho. Seven days, seven times, and the seventh day they do it seven times. And the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, right? Um, by the way, that song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. He didn't fight it. He walked it, right? Um, and it says that God gave the command to destroy everything in the city. And after they conquered Jericho, they go on to co- conquer the next military in a city called Ai. But they lose the initial battle. And Joshua's like, God, if you're not with us, we can't, we can't conquest the land. We can't enter the promised land. And God's like, somebody in your ranks didn't do what I asked them to do. They, 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 they took something from Jericho. And through a very series of events, God exposes that the person who did it is a man named Achan. Achan, A-C-H-A-N. And Achan answers Joshua. He says, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. And I took them. 
And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent. In his covetousness, God exposed Achan's sin. And Job was like, even in that private kind of thing, I'm not, I'm not falling into that. And then Job talks about, in verses 9 through 12, he says, I have not been unfaithful to my wife, neither by my lust or by my actions. And he says, that's the case, let her go to another man. And Job's like, this is, this is extreme stuff he's talking, but he's like, I don't want, to, I, I want you to understand, Job is saying, that I've walked with integrity. Verse 13, he talks about being just, he's not been unjust to the lowly. Verse 15, he, he's been concerned for the poor. Verses 24 to 25, he hasn't trusted in his wealth. And then following that, he hasn't turned to other gods. He hasn't hated his enemies. He shares with the foreigners. And in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 31, look what he says. If I have concealed my transgressions as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart because I stood in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silence and did not go out of doors... He's, goes, he's, he's saying essentially here, I even confessed all my sin, and if I sinned publicly, if I sinned for other people, I made things right. I sought restitution. I didn't let the fear of man prevent me from doing the right thing. Job's not saying he's perfect here. Let's get this straight. He's just saying, I'm striving to walk with integrity here. I'm, I'm not a guy who's careless about my lifestyle and my actions and lastly, Job says, I've even cared for the land that I've lived on in verses 38 and 39. Job's like, man, I've, I've, I've walked in integrity. This is my final appeal. But look what he says in verse 35. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. He says, God you hear, you hear everything I say. You know that I've walked in integrity. Now it's your turn. The burden of proof is on you, God, essentially. Again, reckless bravery. In, in fact, in chapter 30, verse 20, you might want to turn over there just briefly. Look what he says to God. He says, chapter 30, verse 20, I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. He says, the worst thing about all of this, God, is, you seem to, is that you seem to be ignoring me in my sorrow. Man. The book of Job is a weighty book. And uh, I think a lot of us have felt this way. Where, God, why are you silent when I feel like I need you the most? Ever been, ever been there? Where is God during this time? We mentioned in the opening weeks of this series that God uses trials to equip our faith where Satan would you want to use them to destroy our faith. All right? And so for some way, in some way, God is working in his silence in Job's life. God is, God is doing something in the silence in your life. And, and I think what he wants us to do is recall to mind the things we already know. This, this is the beauty of what God does. Because you and I have been at times where we're saying, God, I feel X, Y, and Z right now. Where are you at? And it feels like all you're hearing are crickets. 
But this is where we must know that God is always speaking. He's always working in our lives. I mentioned to you guys this, uh, this past Friday when we got home, the thought in my heart was a thought that was on my family's heart, and it was three words, I am afraid. We're scared. Scared emotionally, scared physically. What's going on? And, and this is what you got to do when you're in the pit and you're waiting for God to speak. Is, is you, you've got to get down on your knees. You've got to sit down on that couch. You've got to stop fumbling about. And you say, God, what do I know is true right now? I'm afraid. You tell me in Joshua 1, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God's with you wherever you go. So that's a promise you give me. I'm afraid. What else do you tell me, Lord? I pulled our kids together, and I said, this is why we memorize the Bible when we're afraid. I said, right now is not the time to pick up a verse and try to memorize it. So I pulled them together, and I said, what does God tell us? Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. You know the rest? I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know that verse because I say it a lot, and I say it a lot because I'm scared a lot. I said, what else does God tell us? The Lord your God is with you, and he's mighty to save. What else does God's word tell us? Isaiah 12, 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And when we just recited scripture, we say, this is why we memorize, because when we're afraid, God does speak to us. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard the voice of God. When we're afraid, we come to him, and we cling to what's true, and he speaks, and he has spoken, and he is speaking through his word. When I'm afraid, when I feel alone, Recall to mind how in the Exodus when God's people were slaves and they, they cried out to God and God says, I heard the cries of my people and sent Moses, their deliverer, to take them out of slavery. As I hear the cries of my children now, I sent Jesus, their deliverer, to take them out of their slavery to sin. He said, he said God, God, I'm never alone. See, this is, this is what we need to do in these moments. This is what Job needed to do is hold to what he's, what's true, hold to what we know to be true. This is how God speaks to us. We recall his promises, we recall his mighty acts, and we remember what he's done in our lives. Let's not have short-term memory when it comes to the works of God in our lives. This is why Tuesday is so important here. A night of gratitude because we're going to talk about what we're thankful for. We can find something, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And the psalmist says, for there you are with me. Well, this is Job's appeal. And he basically says, God, is your turn to speak. And in some ways, we'd expect for God to speak next. But actually, when we come to chapter 32, it says this in verse 1. So these three men, that's Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. That's the way they perceived him to be. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the, of the family of Ram, burned with anger. This is a new character we hadn't heard about. I mentioned to you the first week, there's a fourth friend that comes in the story, and here he is. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's friend, three friends, because they 
because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Verse 4, now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there, were no, there was no answer in the mouths of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, began to speak. And basically, the young buck comes on the scene saying, I'm going to set these old guys straight. And if you read the following four chapters, he basically says the same things the old guys said. Just a little more arrogance, though. That tends to be the way it happens, huh? For the sake of time, I'm not going to unpack Elihu's argument, but we're going to jump to chapter 38. Elihu ends his talk. In some ways, the moment we've been waiting for since the book began, at least the moment I've been waiting for, is the opportunity for God to make sense of all this. Job has said, I'm innocent, God. You know it. You've got to explain what's going on here. And I love what God does in chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. There was a storm, and God spoke through it. And God says this, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Job's, God's saying, Job, I got some questions for you. Before, before we get into this, look what it says. God speaks out of the whirlwind. His presence, when he makes his presence known, he makes it known clearly in the scriptures. And God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's like, who's talking about what they don't know? Ever, ever done that before? I do that all the time. Not when I preach, Lord willing. I mean, I'm, I'm studying hard for y'all. But Erica, sometimes she'll say, you say that so confidently, but you don't even know that's true. I'm like, man, I'm, just, I'm, I'm an arrogant dude sometimes. I'm like, this is something the Spirit of God has to work in me. As I read this, like, who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Like, it's like, who's talking who doesn't know what they're really saying? And you just feel like Job is doing one of these. Like, that, you know, that's me. I think you're talking about. And then God says, dress for action like a man. Literally, it's gird up the loins of your belt. Basically, what they would do in the first century, they wear these long, flowy robes. They would take them and bring them between their legs and tie them into their belt so that they could be more mobile. They're not going to trip up over it if they're going to go out for a run. And God's like, all right, here's a start line. Let's get toe-to-toe. Let's go out for a run here. Or like a wrestler staring his opponent in the eye saying, hey, get ready. We're about to go at this thing. God is telling Job, you want to hear from me, I'm going to speak. But, but here's something. In the next three chapters, you'll never hear God say that Job has sinned. It's like, Job, like God's rebuking Job for his, his ignorance here. But at the end of the day, God's talking to Job. He's talking to the guy who darkens God's wisdom with words without knowledge. I just love this about our God. Even in our stupidity, he doesn't say he's done with us. He engages the man. Yes, the man who's suffering, but he engages him. And God says, I will question you and, make it, and you make it known to me. God rattles off, following these words, some 70 plus questions to Job that go unanswered by him. Let's, take, let's get a taste of them here. I'm going to read at length because I think it's just great to read this part. Verse 4, 
God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it bursts out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and uh, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth Declare, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light? Where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. God's using sarcasm there. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail? which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? And he goes on and on. God's like, where were you at, Job? What do you know about this kind of stuff? As I was reading this, I was thinking, what, what's God trying to accomplish here? Is he just doing what his friends did, kicking the man when he's down? See, what God is doing for Job here, he's saying, God, he's saying, Job, I am God. And by my wisdom, the world operates. And it does so by laws that I put into place. See what God's doing here. He's establishing his authority. I mean, just think about it. God's like, the waves stop where they stop. The water stop on, on Lakeshore Drive. They, they don't come into Montclair. God has to put an end to the waters, to the seas and the lakes. God's saying everything is put together. There, there is a science about it because there's a wisdom that put it in place. And God's saying that was my wisdom. Those are my laws. And you accuse me of being unjust, unlawful. Well, as if that weren't enough, God says, that's the created order. But what about the animal kingdom? Well, let's take a look at the lion in chapter 38 and verse 39. He says, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? God's like, who who feeds the lion? Do you do that, Job? Or how about in verse 41, who, who feeds the raven? When, when its little birds are there in the nest and it's asking for food from its mama bird, who gives the food to the bird? That's what God asks. 
And then chapter 39, verse 1, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Job's like, probably like, no, I don't know. I don't know when a mountain goat gives birth. Or in verse 5, who has let the wild donkey go free? He's probably thinking, it's, it's you, God. I know it's you. It's you. Verse 9, is the wild ox willing to serve you? No, it won't serve me, God. You know, this is what Job's probably thinking here. Or look in verse 13, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the, pin- the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. He's saying, look how negligent the ostrich is of her own eggs, and yet the ostrich continues to live on. Who preserves the ostrich? This big old bird with wings that can't fly, but look what he says in verse 18. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Who, who made a bird that has wings can't fly but runs faster than a horse? This is what God's telling Job. And then he talks about the horse in verse 21. He paws in the valley and exalts in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. You ever think about that? Why do horses run into battle? Would your dog do that? Most animals run away from danger. Horses run into it. And God's like, who hardwired the horse to do that? And then he goes on to talk about the hawk and the eagle. The eagle puts its nest on the side of a cliff so it can look down and see its prey. By the way, this is why I love animal documentaries. I watch these things, and we're about to have like a worship service in our living room. Like, God, you did that. That's crazy. They found that in the ocean just recently? For all these thousands of years, no one saw that? But you. In fact, there's another part here where God says, I send the rains to the deserts where nobody lives. Why? Because that's what I do. God is saying this here, and this is important. If you're, you're feeling like God's not answering you, and if you're feeling like life is a, is a valley, God tells Job, he says, Job, if my wisdom permeates creation and my laws govern the planets, and I provide for animals that you will never even see, how much more am I in control in your calamity? Rest in that, family. How much more will I care for one that I am actually speaking with right now? See, sometimes we, we just don't, we don't stop and just say, God, I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know you are all wise. I know you are just. I'm struggling here, and God's like, I know you're struggling, but I'm still wise, and I'm still just. So he tells him. And then in verse, chapter 40, verse 1, and then the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? God's like, this is not a rhetorical question. And he says, he who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job's like, that's me. And Job answers God in chapter 40, verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will not proceed any further. Job's like, I got nothing else to say, God. You're right. But God's not done talking. 
And he's going to make another point. He says, not only am I all wise and all just, but in chapter 40, he's about to say, and 40 and 41, I am all powerful to make my wisdom and justice happen. You could be wise and just, but if you're not powerful, then who cares about it? But God says, I'm wise, just, and all-powerful. And he does so by appealing to two kinds of animals. And there's a lot of debate about what these two animals are like. One's called the behemoth, and the other one's a leviathan. Now, these are two animals that have, some understand them as, as actual animals in our earth. Some, of them, some people understand them as mythological creatures. I'm going to break this down for you just briefly here. Some think a behemoth is a hippopotamus. Hippos are pretty wild animals. They're powerful, they're strong, they can't be tamed by a human. So God's about to demonstrate his power. And some people think the Leviathan is like a crocodile from the description that's given to it. Still other people think these might be code references to dinosaurs because of the description of their strength and power and the inability to control them. So it may be, it may be one of those, maybe all of those. But it also may be God referring to a mythological creature Kind of like we would do with a fire-breathing dragon that flies over the land. We've never seen one. Have you? Okay, I didn't get too many reactions on that one. But we can refer to a fire-breathing dragon as a very powerful beast, and when we think of that, we think of something that's really difficult to tame, even if it's not real. And so what God does, he brings up these two animals in chapter 40, verse 15. He says, Behold the behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. And people are like, hippos' tails aren't like a cedar tree. They're like little, actually, like a stick. So that's why people wonder what it is. The sinews of his thighs are knit together and so forth. And he talks about how he is powerful over this massive creature. In chapter 41, verse 1, he says, Can you draw out the Leviathan with the fish hook? You find anyone ever go fishing for a crocodile with a, with a fish hook? And God's like, no, no one can do this because no one can tame it. But then God says, I am more powerful than this thing. So God has established not only am I all wise and all just, but I'm also all powerful, Job. You can trust me in your trial. And in chapter 41, verse 11, I love what God says here. He says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God said, I'm in control. What do we make of God's speech in light of Job, the man who's suffering? Well, the first thing Job's finding out is not the devil who's in the details. God. It's what we got to understand, family. Their spiritual warfare is real. Satan's real. I know without a shadow of, my doubt, of a doubt that when we walked to our back door, this was a spiritual attack from the enemy. We just, we just knew it, which is why we felt the weight of the moment. But we also felt the weight of the fact that Erica's parents showed up 15 minutes later to hang with us, and we didn't realize they were coming that early. And they ought to be with us. God's in the details. God's in the details. We need to understand that. When you're you're faced with adversity, you hold on and say, Lord, I know this is a spiritual war that's raging, but I'm going to hold on to you right now. That's the first thing I want you to understand from this interaction that Job and God have here. God is in the details. Second thing is that God 
hasn't lost track of you. All right? God hasn't lost track of you. You ever been to New York City or some other city where there's street performers? And they have these tables set up and they put like a, like a dice under a cup and they got three cups around. They're moving these cups around. They're switching them. You're trying to keep up. And at the end, they stop and tell you where is the dice under which cup, you know? And they make a lot of money off of this because you're trying to keep up with it. You end up losing track of it sometimes. And sometimes we feel like life gets so busy and shuffling about. Like, is God really keeping up with me? Is, is God really keeping track of my life? And God is telling Job, that silly-looking ostrich is in my hand. How much more you who are made in my image. God hasn't lost track of you. He hasn't lost track of you in your pain. He's not confused by your suffering. Third thing I want you to understand is that when God seems silent, hold on to the ways he is speaking. You might not even hear it. He's speaking in his word. He's speaking to you through other people who are speaking the truths of his word over your life. The fourth thing that comes to mind is if don't be anxious in your suffering. That's easier said than done. Um, when I hear God talking about his control over nature, I just, as I was reading, I was thinking Matthew 6, Matthew 6. What does Jesus say? Do not be anxious. He says, consider the sparrows out in the trees. They've always got food. Look at the lilies in the valley. Look how beautiful these flowers are. Who dresses them up? Jesus is saying, how much more will your heavenly Father feed you and clothe you, O you of little faith? He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Today's got its own issues. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when you're facing calamity, don't be anxious. You, 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 you fight for joy. You fight for peace. It's a battle that you're going to wage on. It's not, it's not rare, right, where we lay down our heads at bed, in our bed at night. That's right. It's at that moment all the, all the, all the thoughts come in. It's not the other times. It's there sometimes. And you say, right now, I want to sleep right now. You get anxious. That's where you put Scripture to, to work. Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. That's what God wanted Job to understand. I'm in control, Job. Fifthly, I want you to know this. Ultimately, God's ways really are above your ways. This is what's probably hardest for us because in our challenges, in our suffering, we want to understand it. We, we, we want the doctor to tell us what's wrong. You know, we, we, we want to make sense of our bank account. We want to know that things are going to work out next month when those bills come around. We want the answers. And sometimes we just don't understand. And God's saying, you must be okay with the fact that you don't understand because I'm still in control. I don't understand how this world works. I don't understand how the sun rises and sets. I don't, I don't understand how seasons come and go. Yes, there are scientific explanations, but who put those things into place, right? I love what Paul says in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? 
Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And the answer is no one. And it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. And when you don't understand, understand that God's ways are above your ways. And lastly, I want us to understand this. You've got to leave room for mystery. Sometimes these things will never come together in ways we want. It's not rare we'll talk with our kids and because I always say something like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. You got your list already ready for that? You know? There's, there's mystery. And there's a mystery in the story of Job. It's something we just don't, we don't fully understand how God is operating here. But, but, but let's look, look big picture here. Job suffered as a man who held on to his integrity. And the story of Job, broadly speaking, is the story of a man who refuses to let go of his faith when calamity strikes. That's the big picture thing that God wants us to come away with. And the second thing he wants us to come away with is the fact that he's in control even when we don't understand. Even when we don't understand. And so that's what we got to walk with, family. There's not a neat bow around Job's life. Chapter 42 is encouraging, it's uplifting, but life doesn't even always work that way for us. Sometimes there's not a bow, we tie it around things, but what we do know is that God, you are in control and we're trusting in you no matter what. God's in the details. So hold fast to your God. So we started this series and we're going to keep praying for one another as we think about our trials and our suffering that many are experiencing. We're praying for healing, physical and emotional healing. We're praying for the miracle of hope in the midst of suffering and the miracle of the sure confidence of heaven to pervade our minds. So with that, let's pray together, family, for one another. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for knowing every detail. God, when we're afraid and it feels like things just feel so um, unstable, we know that we can hold fast to your character, your promises, which will, are always yes and amen because of Jesus. Father, I, I, don't, I don't want to, to end this service without just making clear, Lord, that these promises you offer to us, offer to us who are your children, God. And Father, for, for any man or woman who's here today, any young person, every youth who's here and is not a Christian, Lord, they haven't put their faith in you yet, Lord God. I, I pray, God, that you would, would show them, Lord, how they need you. Lord, Job wasn't a perfect man. He was a man who had undoubtedly sinned in his life, but he's a man who understood your forgiveness. And that's why ultimately he could find confidence in you. But Lord, until we put our faith and believe in Jesus, we don't have confidence. So, Father, for those who are here today who have never surrendered their life to you, God, who've never asked you to forgive them for their sins and put their faith in Jesus, Lord, help them understand today that that's the only way to have confidence in you, Lord. That's the only way to... To, to be forgiven, to be adopted into your family. And so, Lord, I pray that, that some would do that even today, God. And, Father, for others today who are just uh, in a dark place, 
and they're looking for hope, may they find it in you. You who orders all things according to your wisdom and justice and make it happen through your power, may they just rest, 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 rest in your grasp. Lord, we praise you. We praise you for who you are. Father, I pray for healing for my brothers and sisters today who are sick. God, we know it takes a miracle, and we know you can work miracles. We've seen you do it. We know you can do it, and we pray, God, for that brother or sister who's sick today. If it be your will, Lord, would you just bring healing to their body, bring healing to their emotional wounds, scars. And God, if it's not in your plan to to heal their, their, their physical ailments. God, would you bless them with a miracle of hope in you, a miracle of faith that says, even in my trials, I will trust in him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. And Father, for every child today who knows you, every one of your people, bless us with the miracle of the hope of eternity. On the one hand, we... We enjoy this life. On the other hand, God, we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, may we walk this life not despairing, but confident in you today, God, and the weeks ahead. As we bless you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.